Good evening, and welcome to the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program, sponsored by Heritage Baptist Church in New York City, a church that is committed to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in an atmosphere of love. Please join us this hour as Pastor Matthew Recker opens the Word of God and then brings others, including you, into the conversation. Tonight, we'll seek to have a dialogue that will glorify God and will show how the Bible is relevant to everyday life. Our desire is to lead people to salvation in Christ and encourage believers in their spiritual growth. Join us and build up your own heritage of faith. Good evening and thank you for joining us tonight for another episode of the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program hosted by Pastor Matthew Recker. My name is Micah and I'm the ministry assistant at Heritage and tonight we will continue our discussion of Genesis chapter 2 which we began last week. If you would like to join our conversation tonight or if you want to call in with a question or prayer request, give us a call. Our studio phone number is 929-333-3739. Pastor Matt, can we start out this evening with a listener question that came in toward the end of our program last week? Sure enough. We're so glad that listeners send us their questions, and we encourage them to send them all in or call and leave a question, and we could search it out. So, sure. Yeah, so one of our callers was looking back at our study of Revelation and wanted to further understand the verse Revelation 20, verse 14, and I'll read it. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So the question was, what is the difference between hell and Hades, and how can hell be cast into the lake of fire? Isn't that just hell destroying hell? No, not at all. So what's going on here at this great white throne judgment, the verse 12 says the dead gave up, uh, the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Uh-huh. So the those who were physically dead, their bodies were resurrected to stand before God at this great white throne judgment. Okay. And then it says, and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. That's the spiritual part of the man who have been who has been suffering in hell, separated from God. Okay. So this is the great white throne judgment is the judgment of the unsaved, Mm -hmm. and they will stand body and soul before the Lord. So hell here speaks of, and Hades, hell and Hades, Hades is the Greek word for hell. Okay. Okay. So those who are in hell, their spirit comes out, their body comes out of the grave or the sea, wherever they died, they'll stand before God, body and soul, and their name not being written in the book of life, then they are cast into the lake of fire. So when it says death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, it means the body and soul of the unsaved will be cast into the lake of fire. And so hell is a temporary Mm -hmm. holding place for the unsaved dead, their spiritual being, their spiritual part. Mm -hmm. But it's temporary. The lake of fire is the eternal state. Okay. All right. Yeah. Was yeah. Um, so Hades is that? So that's the Greek word for the for place hell. of the dead. Hell. Yeah. Okay. Is it, was Hades in the Old Testament times divided in two? Or in, yes. Okay. Yes. So okay. in the Old Testament, many people believe yeah. before the resurrection of Christ that yeah. the saved and the unsaved went to Hades. So that's why it says that the soul of Jesus uh-huh. would not be left in hell in or hell. Hades. Uh-huh. So Jesus, some people read that and think he actually went in, in hell, into a yeah. place of suffering. Right. 
uh, in, uh, of Hades. But Jesus did not suffer beyond the cross. He right. went to the place where the righteous dead were in mm-hmm. Old Testament times. So Hades had both a righteous and an unrighteous compartment, if you will. Yeah. But mm-hmm. then after Jesus... The righteous part of Hades was all taken up into heaven okay. with him, and now that's why we consider hell just for the unsaved, because okay. it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for that clarification, yeah. Pastor. I, I hope that's, that's awesome. clear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Mike, and thank you again for being here and co-hosting with me. You always say I'm the host, but I look at you as, <laughs> as co-host because you do such a great job every week. Oh, it's such Pastor. a joy to be here with you. And tonight, what a special guest we have with us, my lovely and beautiful and faithful wife of... How many years, hon? Yeah. I, I forget. Hello, yeah. hello it's everyone. It's been 40 years. I, I remember. I remember. I'm so okay. glad. Okay. So we're so glad to have you with us. Debbie A. Recker is with us here this evening. So we welcome you, Deb. And we're going to be studying how God formed man from the dust of the ground. We're going to look Amen. at a little background of man's creation in Genesis chapter 2, verses 4, 5, and 6, and then how man is formed from the dust. And we're going to read this passage of Scripture tonight, and we're going to read from Genesis chapter 2, beginning at verse 4, and go down through verse 8 this evening. So I'll start it off, and it says, These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth, and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, And there he put the man whom he had formed. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reading of your word. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to be on the radio tonight and speak about you with our precious listeners. Lord, we pray for those listening this evening, dear God, that you would all build us up in the faith of Jesus and also in our true identity as men and women made in your image, Lord. And just as you blessed Adam and Eve in the beginning and told them be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth and that they were given, in a sense, kingship over the earth, Lord, help us to uh, help us to embrace who we are in Jesus Christ, that we are your image bearers. We are your kings and priests, Lord Jesus Christ, and that you have made us to serve you and love you with all our hearts. So bless us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, what an amazing passage of Scripture. And Genesis chapter 2 is not another way God created. Mm. And the writer is not telling another order of events in creation, but he's rehearsing the vital features of the creation week. And he's, he's really providing a lot of details mm-hmm. that were not given in Genesis 1. For mm-hmm. example, in Genesis 1, it says that God created them male and female. Yeah. But it doesn't say the substance God used to create, yeah. which was dust. It, it doesn't say that he created the man and the woman into 
at two different times yeah. on that one day. Yeah. It doesn't say in Genesis 1 any information about the Garden of Eden. Mm. You know, so in Genesis chapter 2, we, we hear about the Garden of Eden and the rivers, and we'll talk about that next week, mm-hmm. and the, the gold that was there. Yeah. And in Genesis 1, it doesn't say anything about their, their marriage relationship. Where yeah. mm-hmm. So in Genesis 2, it gives us some very important details mm-hmm. about life and about who we are. Uh, inhabiting this earth. So we're going to look at that mm-hmm. uh, as we get into that tonight. So first we want to look at the background of man's creation and then man's formation from the dust of the ground. So in the background of man's creation, we we come to the first Toledoth. They're mm-hmm. called Toledoth, and there's ten yeah. of them. Mm-hmm. They're kind of like chapter divisions, right, Micah, mm-hmm. in the book of Genesis. So tell us more about a Toledoth and its importance and why does it appear at this juncture in the Genesis record? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, as you said, Pastor, in Genesis chapter 1, we get this 30,000-foot flyover of the six days of creation yeah. week. Oh, and that's now, a good one. in chapter 2, we zoom in to see creation in far greater detail, especially regarding the creation of man. But in between the flyover and the deep dive is oh. this Hebrew See, this word. is why you, your analysis is so good. It's a flyover. Genesis 1 is the flyover. The flyover and yeah. Genesis 2 is the deep dive. Deep dive. And then in between love is it, this Hebrew it. word Toledot. And I, I wasn't aware of this you know, up until a couple months ago when you've been talking about it in the HDI classes. And every time the word is used in the book of Genesis, it's translated as generations. So it's seen here first in Genesis 2, 4, which starts... These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. And it's like a transition. It's a summary statement of what came before, making way for the information that comes next. So another way that we could paraphrase the beginning of Genesis 2-4 would be like, these are the generations of heaven and earth, and this is what became of them. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's the idea. This is what became of them. When I was studying it out, I, I ran across the idea that they're a hinge, a hinge. of what went before because he said this is the generations of the heavens and the earth. So we're reminded of Genesis 1. Yeah. But then they're a heading to introduce what's going to be. So in this case, it's kind of like this is what became of man. And then we read about him in the Garden of Eden. We read about the fall of man in Genesis 3. Mm. And then we read about the murder of Cain and Abel in Genesis 4, the birth of Seth. And then we have the second Toledoth mm. in Genesis 5, verse 1, which is the generation of Adam. Yeah. Still, even though you see. So it doesn't say this is how they were created or at that moment they were created. Yeah. Like, so the generations of the heavens and the earth, they're already in, came to be. But mm-hmm. this is what happened to it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in Genesis 2-4, I have actually two observations to make that um, it's so interesting that Moses uses a new name for God. Mm. In Genesis chapter 1 and in Genesis 2, 1 through 3, Moses uses Elohim, which, of course, we translate God. But in Genesis 2-4 and throughout Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3, Moses says, the Lord God. Lord in all caps, or Jeho- uh, Yahweh Elohim, or Jehovah Yah- uh, Elohim. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Yahweh Elohim. And, of course, I know, Pastor, you could teach a lot of lessons on the names of God, but mm. the main observation I want to make here um, is that Yahweh, or Jehovah, is a very relationship-oriented name for mm. God. Mm-hmm. And so even as Micah said, this is going to be a deep dive into how the Lord God created a perfect home for Adam and Eve 
because God is using the earth to establish a relationship with humans. And so I just want to call call on any listeners that might want to establish a relationship with the Lord God. Amen. Uh, Yeah. Call in. Call Mm -hmm. in. Call in right now if you need to know more about Jesus Christ. If you're not sure that he's your Savior, give us a call right now at 929-333-3739. Yeah, and Pastor, you know, as Debbie was talking about the name of God, and she said either Yahweh or Jehovah, you know, I think that actually bears some explanations. So somebody listening out there might not know the difference between those two. Why do we not know whether that word, the Hebrew word, is pronounced Jehovah or Yahweh? Uh, what, and I and the answer and I guess the answer well, yeah. is so the the Hebrew letters yeah. you know they, they only use consonants, consonants they didn't, they didn't yeah. use um, the vowels right. oh, oh uh, yeah right. so the Y H W H but also then when the Jewish people they didn't want to break the commandment and say God's name in yeah. vain right. so they used the vowels for Adonai uh-huh. and they put it in with the Yahweh and that's how we get Jehovah okay so it's a combination that's the short answer okay yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. So it's the same word. It's just it, that we don't know exactly the same how word, they would have pronounced right. it. Right. So the time. we we say yeah. Jehovah because mm-hmm. we're using a set of vowels, mm-hmm. but we're not sure those are the exact vowels right. God okay. intended. Yeah. Thanks for yeah explaining that. Yeah. Lord is the four letters in the Hebrew Y H W H, and yeah. so then they add the vowels between Jehovah. Jehovah. Yeah. 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 But what well, I think is also. Important, if I could say, as far as this too, is God, Elohim, is the name used, as you mentioned in Genesis 1, Mm -hmm. of creation. Mm -hmm. So that really emphasizes his transcendence, his power. Mm. He's the the God of powerful creation. Mm. Lord, introduced for the first time, as you said, emphasizes our relationship. And really, Lord emphasizes him establishing his covenant with man he's going to establish the lord god is going to establish a covenant with man because he's personal mm. so he's personal mm-hmm. to man he's powerful over all creation yeah. so he is lord the a personal imminent god very near to us he's yeah. near to us mm-hmm. you know that's the idea of his imminence mm. and yet he's god he's all-powerful and transcendent. He's over us. Mm. So the Lord God emphasizes both aspects of his nature. Yeah, yeah. So we can see God's character through his names. That's cool. Yeah. So in Genesis 2-4, I have another observation um, that the phrase earth and the heavens is the opposite of the order in Genesis 1-1. Of hmm. course, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Okay, that's mm-hmm. the big picture. The heaven is mentioned first. Mm. Also in Genesis 2-4, it says, heavens and of the earth. But then after it says, Lord God, mm-hmm. it says that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And so I believe when he mentions the earth first, it's because that is where Adam and Eve will be. Mm. And God, again, he's using the earth to establish a relationship with humans. And so um, the events in chapter 2 are not in chronological order. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are and some of them aren't. Yeah. But um, perhaps we can say they are in the order of a relationship. Mm. They're in the relational order mm-hmm. that God is initiating with man. Mm. So like flipping earth and heavens, it's almost like 
you're shifting the perspective. We're there. shifting the perspective yeah, from the great. big picture to, like Micah said, the deep dive into what is God actually doing. Yeah. An- another thing, just uh, very important about the taller dots, mm. is they all describe real, literal, actual history. Mm-hmm. So when it says the generation, these are the generations of the heavens and earth, he is referring to what just happened, which was actual real history. It wasn't a metaphor. It Mm -hmm. wasn't a poem. It was actual real history. Six days God created, six solar days as we've been going through, and then rested the seventh day. And then another thing to also emphasize here and to see in this verse is both words of creation are used in verse 4, where it says, when they were created mm-hmm. in the day that the Lord God made. Mm-hmm. So the word create and the word made are the two key words used in the Genesis 1 that speak of God creating and doing his work, his miracle, uh, sovereign, supernatural, providential work of creation. Mm. So both of those words are used as well. Okay, so... We're good. We can move forward now, right? Absolutely. That was good. That's an important that verse. Yeah. Verse four. So let's look at the two problems now, then, as we go here. The problems are this. As we come into Genesis chapter 2, verse 5, it says, There was no rain, and then it says, There was not a man, in Genesis 2 and verse 5. And so it says, the Lord God had not caused it to rain. So there was no rain. And it says, there was not a man uh, on the ground. And there were no plants yet. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about this period at at this moment. Where, what is he talking about? And how does Genesis 2, verses 5 and 6, provide an important setting for the creation of human life? So let's try to explain this a little bit. And Deb, would you like to bring us into this? So again, so interesting. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, we see that creation day 3 was divided into two parts. In the first part of day 3, the dry land appears. And then in the second part of day 3... The earth brings forth the grass, the herbs, and the trees. So now we come over to Genesis 2.5, and um, the writer says that before there were any plants, there was a mist. The writer brings us into the middle of day three, just before the plant life was created. And um, he takes a side road and tells us about these two problems that you mentioned, Pastor. Mm. There are two things related to plants. Plants need water, and they need somebody to cultivate them. But there was no rain, and there was no man yet to till the ground. And so, um, but then he says there is a mist in verse 6. There went up a mist from the earth. And so the mist, I believe, comes right after the dry land appears, and then the plants and then, of course, man doesn't come till day six, but he takes a side road since he's talking about this earth idea and man is going to be created out of the dust of the ground and man's going to be used to till the ground. So he just he jumps ahead and talks about the creation of man in verse seven. But um, again, that's not in chronological order. It's in the relationship to the earth because it's so interesting in verse five, Genesis two, five, he says, field, earth, field, earth, ground. In verse 6, he says, earth ground. In verse 7, he says, dust ground. So he is um, very focused on what is happening with the dust of the earth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, 
And it's important to note, on that day three, it's the first day that's broken up into two distinct parts, Mm. right? Where on day three, it says twice, and God said, like in Genesis 1, verse 9. And then, so the waters were gathered together in the one place, and the dry land appeared when God said in verse 9. So there was dry land. But then the second part of day three, and God said. So it's the first time it says twice, and God said. Mm -hmm. And so the second part of day three, it was, and God said, and the earth brought forth the grass, the herbs, and the fruit trees. So here in Genesis chapter 2, 5, as Debbie said, this is in the middle part of that day three. God had created the dry ground, but still had, had not yet made the plant life. Yeah. So that's pretty much where we are well, there. Well, yeah, because it, it's interesting. Before the flood in the days of Noah, it didn't rain like it does right. now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there wasn't the destruction from too much rain, you know, no erosion of the topsoil. So all the minerals weren't getting washed away. So there was still plenty of nutrition in the food. So uh, there was a lot, you know, that could be said about the earth, the mist. Yeah, and so when he talks here about the mist, you know, what what it seems to be saying as well is when God made the dry ground mm-hmm. and then there were the seas, he established this mist mm-hmm. because he was going to make the plants. Mm-hmm. Right. And so he's, he's making that mist to prepare the earth for the, yeah. for the plants so that they could grow. Mm-hmm. Now, some plants could just grow fine by just getting water, but other plants to achieve the maximum fruitfulness do require man for its cultivation. Right. So that's what that's what's going on here. So mm-hmm. on now now let's uh, shift a little bit because theistic evolutionists Micah uh-huh. use these verses to completely reinterpret Genesis 1. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting if we could dive into this a little bit yeah. because these verses are actually used to reinterpret Genesis 1 and reject a literal six-day creation. Yeah, so there are some pretty notable theistic evolutionists, as you said, Pastor, who say that Genesis 1 is poetry, and we've, we've said that before on this program, not written in chronological order of creation, and they say it's Genesis 2, which was actually written chronologically, and they see it this way because in Genesis 2-5, it sounds to them as if the plants were not growing on the earth until after man was created in contradiction they say to genesis 1 but the way that we read that is not as a chronological statement 2 5 but as a detailed description about how everything is interconnected and interdependent so the plants needed the water and god created the mist and although plants can grow on their own like in a jungle in a garden man is needed to cultivate it as you just said pastor and at the same time man is also completely dependent on the plants for his food and his shelter The chapter then goes on to talk about man's dominion over the animals and creation of woman as a partner, and she's the one who bears the children. So God made a beautifully intricate, interdependent creation, and that is what chapter 2 is highlighting. It's not a contradiction, and it's not chronological. It's just highlighting the interconnectedness of his creation. Yeah, and there are a lot of people, though, who follow the teachings of a man named Meredith Klein and Tim Keller, Mm -hmm. the very popular former pastor 
at Redeemer Presbyterian, who mm-hmm. was taught by Tim uh, by Meredith Klein, yeah. um, quotes him, and 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 they have they hold to this view. So it's affected a, a lot of people, and not just them, not just in that that community either. It's right. it's larger than that. Mm-hmm. But just to give our listeners an understanding, it, there's a there's a theory called the framework theory of creation, and so what they say is that. Genesis 1 provides just a metaphorical framework mm-hmm. of how God created. Mm. Not a literal yeah. and not a sequential way God created, but a framework. Yeah. So they would say that the first three days is creation from man's point of view. Mm. And uh, I'm sorry, from God's point of view. And okay. then the, the next three would be a creation from uh, a, a God's... Uh, I'm sorry, let me let me back up. The first three days would be creation from God's point of view. Okay. The next three, man's point of view, because the, the next three days, God filled in the earth with the sun, the moon, the stars, and then the fish and the fowl, and, and then the man itself. Mm. So they would say that these six days provide a framework, which is a metaphorical and non-sequential interpretation of creation, and that this is the actual order of how God did it. Mm-hmm. So they would say that, the order here is that there was there were no plants, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there was no rain, and there was no man, and then in verse six there was there was rain, there was mist, or there was a mist, and then there was man in verse seven. So there was man before there was plants, mm-hmm. and then in verse eight the Lord God planted a garden. So then there was plants. Mm-hmm. So they and this is what Meredith Klein says, and I'm going to quote him. Mm-hmm. Meredith Klein has said that the unargued presupposition of Genesis 2-5 is that clearly divine providence, the divine providence operating during the creation work week through these processes was just a natural providence, not even miraculous providence, and that without question, man was made before plants. That's, that's what he says. So that's that's a that's what they're arguing. So mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm just we're just talking about this yeah. to say that this is wrong, and we reject the framework theory of mm-hmm. creation. It's dangerous. It's unbiblical. Mm-hmm. And let me just give you this one last example, and then if you want to make any comments, you can, or we'll move on. But they say, for example, this is one of their ideas in this framework theory, that day one, God created the heavens and the earth. Mm-hmm. And day four, where God made the sun, moon, and the stars also, are not different events. They're actually the same event that occurred at the same time, hmm. but from different perspectives. Hmm. So that's how they look at Genesis 1, yeah. as a metaphor, as not literal. Mm-hmm. And why is that important? That's important. That's important. Because if we start at the very beginning mm-hmm. interpreting the Bible... Yeah. In a metaphorical, mm-hmm. non-literal way, a lot of people will just carry that system of interpretation mm-hmm. throughout the Bible, yeah. and that you you will not end up with the truth nope. because Jesus Christ literally was born of a virgin. Mm-hmm. He literally died on the cross. He literally bodily rose again. Mm-hmm. He literally is in heaven right now. Yeah. He's literally coming back again. So a literal interpretation is foundationally the biblical view of how to interpret the Bible. Yeah, and Pastor, I, I see a few huge problems with this idea that man came before plants, you know, and 
And I'll, I'll just yeah. say, you know, the, yeah. the idea that there was a single-celled organism that slowly evolved into animals and eventually man over millions of years, and yet there were no plants, the animals couldn't have survived for, I'm going to give two main reasons. Number one, because they wouldn't have had any plants to eat. And if all the animals were carnivores, life would yeah. have died out immediately. But number two, plants convert the carbon dioxide from animals into oxygen so animals can breathe. So if there were millions of years with no plants, the earth would have long since run out of oxygen. Those two things, to me, game over on this theory. Yeah. Yeah, I think <clears throat> it goes back to the mist. I think he, you know... Sometimes in our modern world, we don't understand the importance of water and rain. But Moses, when he wrote Genesis, was wandering around the wilderness where there was very little rain. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he had been in Egypt where the Bible says in actual, um, in Deuteronomy 11, uh, 10 and 11, it says, uh, For the land where you go is not like the land of Egypt from whence you came out, mm. where you sowed your seed and watered it with your foot as a garden of herbs. In other words, in order to water stuff, you had to walk to a well mm. and get the water and mm-hmm. bring it back to your garden. Wow. And so Moses is emphasizing there was um, a mist before there were plants, mm. not that there was man before there were plants. Right. And Mi- yeah, that's a great point. And Micah, you make a very important point to emphasize that uh, man was not created before plants because, you know, and, and again, you know, however many millions of years too, <laughs> then what would he have eaten? Yeah. What would he have used for instruments or whatever, you yeah. know, even mm-hmm. if man was evolving through that time, yeah. you know, so it, it's really, it's, it's just a theory to bolster their evolutionary views in order to compromise with so-called modern day science mm-hmm. to find favor with the secular, uh, intelligentsia, you know, the the Mm -hmm. upper crust intellectuals of society. Mm -hmm. I I really believe that they want to to be considered Mm -hmm. intellectual and on equal educational standing with with the elites Mm -hmm. of society and and not to feel, um, you know, like, oh, you're just one of those literal Bible believers, you know, who believe that God created uh, everything in six days. And so, but that's what we believe. That's what what we believe the Bible says. And if people want to say what, that we're not educated for having such a view, then I'm willing to bear that. Yeah, me too. too. Yeah, because you can imagine how these professors at these theology schools within the greater colleges, you know, they're just surrounded by the academy, the intelligentsia, as you said. And, of course, they were just pressured that, oh, you believe the exact opposite of what we're, quote, unquote, discovering in science. You can see how much pressure they were under. And they just collapsed and said, okay, let's compromise here, and we can see both, and both are true, and that's not the case. Yeah, but it's really an amazing passage of Scripture, that, and so that's why we're talking about this, dear friends. It's in the Word of God. So what we're going to do right now, we're going go to we're gonna go into verse 7 next, yeah. how God created man from the dust of the ground, and talk about man. And so, dear friends, if you have any questions about what we've said, or if you want to join our conversation, or if you're going through something today, and you're confused about your life, you're depressed, maybe you're in distress about a family situation, maybe you're in a financial difficulty because of this day of, boy, the inflation we're having today is going to create uh, financial problems. So, -hmm. dear friends, if you're going through something that you would just like prayer about, give us a call right now at 929-333. 
3739. And we want to encourage you, and we're going to get back, and we're going to talk about the, 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 the glorious God creating us so personally with his very own hands forming us in his own image. How beautiful is that? Dear friends, that shows his love for you, his care for you. And he says, come to, come to me. The Lord Jesus Christ wants to be your Savior. He wants to be your friend. He wants to walk with you throughout life, dear friend. And so let's surrender our all to him. And that's what this song is, Surrender All. So give us a call right now at 929-333-3739. We'd love to hear from you. Again, that number, 929-333-3739. Surrender all. That's beautiful, isn't it? So let's surrender our all to the Lord God, the powerful God, the personal God who has created us in his image. And um, 
Michael, why don't you invite our listeners to our church? Yeah, we um, are going through the book of Proverbs in our Sunday services, which happen at 11 a.m. And where we meet is 490 Hudson Street between Christopher and Grove in the West Village of Manhattan. And we have plenty of room because we have a big gymnasium of the public school that we meet in. And we would love to have any visitors who want to join us. We do have a 10 a.m. Bible study hour, and then at 11 o'clock we have our main service. That's right, and bring your young people as well at 10 a.m. as Micah and one of our faithful sisters, Hillary, teach the city youth class. We also have a class for younger children. We have a nursery. We also have a deaf ministry. If if you know any deaf and they'd like to come, we have a, a deaf sometimes a Sunday school, but at 11 o'clock the the message is interpreted for the deaf. And so come on out to 490 Hudson Street every Sunday, 10 a.m. and 11 a.m. So let's get into verse 7, the formation of man. How does Genesis 2-7 describe man's creation differently from what is said in Genesis chapter 1, 26-28? And what does this tell us about man as God creates him? Yeah, well, let me just read uh, verse 7 again. It says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So when I think about this moment as a visual person, I think of the Michelangelo frescoes on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, and I think about the most recognizable panel called the creation of Adam. Mm. In the painting, and many of us know it, uh, God the Father Mm -hmm is suspended just above and to the right of his greatest creation. And he's reaching out his mighty arm toward Adam, who is propped up but lying on the ground in a dreamlike state. Adam, too, is reaching out toward God, and their fingers almost, almost touch. Mm. And what the painting captures so well is this idea that the first man was formed directly by the divine hand of God. There is a relational intimacy in Michelangelo's depiction because there's an intimacy in the words of Scripture. We know from Genesis 1 that God created man and woman in his image. We know that he blessed them. He commanded them to multiply, and he gave them dominion over the earth and the creatures. But here in chapter 2, we also get a visual description of the creative process. So out of the dust or the clay of the earth, God formed the body of man like a sculptor would mold his Mm. creation. And then God breathed his own breath into the nostrils of man, giving him life and spirit. It's the climax of the creation story, and it's amazing that we actually get these details here in chapter 2. It sure is. And it's very important, very important details as well, Micah. And in fact, when uh, Moses talked to God in prayer, he referenced God and he addressed God. He said, oh, God, the God of the spirits Hmm. of all flesh. Mm -hmm. So Moses recognized that God is the one who gave us our very breath. Yeah. And so that that prayer even recognizes God as the creator, mm-hmm. you know, who formed us and then breathed into us. And this kind of expression is really throughout the Bible. In the book of Hebrews chapter 12, it even talks about that God is the father of spirits, mm-hmm. that he's the father of spirits. In other words, we don't take a breath without him. Mm-hmm. And I love it. There's a verse in Daniel when Daniel was talking to Belshazzar and and telling him he had been weighed in the balances and found wanting, Daniel said to Belshazzar in Daniel chapter 5, verse 23, he says, The God 
in whose hand thy breath is. Think about that. The mm-hmm. God in whose hand thy breath is. The, the next breath we're going to take mm-hmm. is in God's hand. Mm-hmm. And he's going to give it to us. So, mm-hmm. in other words, every breath we take reminds us that life is a gift. Mm-hmm. And we have to give God praise. All that hath breath, you know. Mm-hmm. Praise the Lord because he's given us mm-hmm. that breath. Yeah. So, we should honor him. So, even as we honor God with our breath, we're recognizing him as our creator who breathed into us the breath of life, we became a living soul. Okay? So, Debbie, how does this Genesis record that God creates the male here, man became a living soul, and we'll talk more about the creation of the woman later, but we can talk about this now, of course, where God took a rib from Adam and made the female. So how does this show that the male and female are are different and unique, but yet equal in the image of God? Yes, this is so important. And um, they were both made on day six by yes. the hand of God, but they were not made at the same moment of the day. Um, man was made from the dust, but the woman was made from his rib. And uh, we see that God made only two genders, male and female. And this is so important because, sadly, um, in our culture, there is a lot of confusion now, and young people are being taught to question their gender. Mm. And, again, I want to encourage anyone uh, who feels um, alone, they need a friend, Mm -hmm. they need somebody to talk about their their gender, they are welcome to call, and we would like to have um, mercy and grace, have a listening yeah. ear. But I want to say that it's so amazing that God did make uh, two distinct genders, but we are both made in the image of God. And so by saying that, like men reveal that God is strong, God is the protector, God is the provider. A woman made in the image of God, she reveals that God is mysterious, Mm -hmm. God is beautiful, God is sensitive. And, you know, Jesus, um, he said at one point, he said, I want to be like a hen who gathers her chickens under her wings, Mm -hmm. but you would not. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Jesus wanted to be like a mother hen. And so, again, revealing the... um, the nurturing and protecting sense of a mother. So men and women reveal God in many ways Mm. by their gender. Yeah, and it it shows important as well where people are looking for identity today. Mm -hmm. And we're hearing all of a sudden, we're just hearing a crush of information about this and a confusion about this. And our hearts do go out to young people who are really being told today there are like a hundred different gender identities. And how are they supposed to pick one mm-hmm. from all of that? Young people's minds are, are, they need to be told simple things and, and to deal with reality as well as what God says it is. So my, my point is this. The Bible teaches us foundationally who we are, mm-hmm. and we need to get our identity from the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Sadly, our society's moved away from the Bible, mm-hmm. but we need to get back to the Bible to have clarity in a time of confusion and to have a sense of who we are. So this is foundational to identity, Micah, that God made us from the dust, 
That's our humility. Yeah. We're just us. Mm-hmm. God made us himself. He formed us, like you said so beautifully. He fashioned us. That gives us dignity. Mm. And then he breathed into us. That gives us spirituality. Mm-hmm. We can have a communication and a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Pastor, we shouldn't be completely surprised that Satan has done so much in recent years to attack the very foundation of the Bible, because if he can destroy the foundation in people's minds, then it's like a house of cards. The rest of the cards are going to come crashing down. So as we've been talking about over the last weeks, through the live evolution in the late 1800s, Satan began to explain away the creator of Genesis 1, and doubt was implanted in the mind of your average person. And sinful man, of course, was drawn to this lie because if there's no more creator, then there's no more accountability. And then a fictional competition arose between science and the Bible, and we were given this false option of choosing either or. And here we find ourselves in the 21st century where neither the Bible nor even basic biology are now trusted. As shocking as it is, gender is the latest truth from Genesis 1 to come crashing down in the minds of sinful man. And I believe that this all flows out of pride, the desire of us all to Mm. be our own God. Emotions and feelings have been deified and selfish you know, selfish things like the self is actually just worshipped about above everything else. And this has been Satan's desire and plan all along. So first we were to accept it, and then they were, we are to embrace this new definition of gender, and now we are expected to celebrate it or else. Transgenderism has never been accepted to this degree in 6,000 years of human history, but now it is, and that alone gives us some insight into where we are on God's timetable. Yeah, it, it, this is so serious mm-hmm. because our young people are learning, you know, they have to refer to the pronouns of their fellow students and they have to understand what some of these basic gender identities are. And they're learning this when they're not. Many of the young people don't know how to read. Mm-hmm. They don't know yeah. history. They don't yeah. know. They don't know math skills and yeah. things like that. And they're 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 being taught and they're being recruited. Yeah. And they're, they're being made to question many times who they are and their identity. And, of course, our society has moved so far away from the Bible. Like you said, it's like a house of cards. We've, uh, evolution is deeply, like, embedded. Mm-hmm. And so this is now many, a number of generations have passed since the Bible and prayer have been taken out of the schools. Yeah. And so there's no biblical foundation. So now they're putting this on young people mm-hmm. who have no concept that, that they're created by God. And so they, there's no foundation for them to stand on. There's no mm-hmm. way that they could even, say, push back mm-hmm. because they don't, they don't know the truth. Yeah. You and, know? And, and we just want to clarify that, you know, if you are struggling out there or a family member of yours out there is struggling, you know, we love you. And, you know, we each, each one of us on this panel have our own struggles and have, you know, yeah. hopefully found victory in our own struggles. So this isn't a judgmental thing. It's, it's more just that we have to identify, as Pastor said, we have to identify ourselves as a child of God first. And then everything flows out of that. Yes, absolutely. Well, we have a phone call uh, tonight from Betty. So thank you uh, call, for calling, Betty. And you're on the Heritage of Faith Conversations program. Would you like to ask your question? Sure. Could you please turn Uh, your radio down? If you have the radio up, could you turn it down, please? Yes. Yeah, thank you. Actually, it's not the radio. It's the TV, Kenneth. Kenneth, (laughs) turn the TV down. I'm on the radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay. Yeah, I just, okay. Thank you so much, Betty. Sure, sure. Uh, I was reading, actually teaching, 
actually preaching. My husband and I are both ordained. However, I was ordained to the Ministry of Comfort Care and uh, Bereavement, but my husband had a moderate to severe stroke. As a matter of fact, he had two. I'm so sorry. Storefront in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Okay. But uh, again, nothing has stopped because of my ordination. We both attended seminary, didn't complete it, but again, uh, I'm familiar with the Bible. (laughs) But uh, this, uh, in Luke chapter 6, when I read this, and I've said, I know there are many John, well, more than one John Ray of the scriptures. It might be narratives, might be parables, it might be Christ uh, using a physical object, a child. But this one, and I was just wondering if this is really literal or is it, how is it to be understood here? And uh, Luke, the sixth chapter, verses uh, starting at 27. Hold on. Yeah, so let me read it, Betty, okay? I have it right here. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. Jesus said, But I say unto you, which here Mm -hmm. love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. Mm -hmm. And your question is, should we take that literally? No, no, even going further, either furthermore is what, I mean, I can sort of understand that. But if someone slaps you on one cheek, then you turn the other. That's what I mean. Is that literal or, and then if someone uh, demands of you your coat, give them your cloak also. uh, And then about going the extra mile, and even where it says lending, if you loan to someone, do not expect it back. And, you know, it's just that whole text going up until verse 38. I understand love the enemy. I understand do good to yeah. those. But in those, you know, excuse me, when I read that, people said, you got to be kidding. I mean, if I loan someone lending, you know, what exactly? How, how, how do we take those verses? Well, I, I believe that really he's talking more in in the legal sense here. Um, Jesus also referenced some of these things back in Matthew chapter 5, where he says, for example, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Right, right. And then uh, resist not evil. And then I believe he says things similar to this there as well, of, of turning... Oh, boy. I don't know if it says it exactly in Matthew 5, but there. So I I believe he's talking more like in in the literal sense as far as giving a cloak and things like that. But I I, I guess I would say this, and then if, Micah or Deb, you want to weigh in on this, you certainly can, because it's a very good question that you asked, Betty. I would say that Mm -hmm. the Lord is teaching us, and and the principle is love your enemies Mm. and do good to those who hate you. So in loving our enemy, if they want to fight with us, we don't want to escalate that battle. If they want to take from us, we don't want to engage in taking with them. We want to be a giver. And that, that's the idea there. Uh, give to every man that asketh thee. If he wants to take your cloak, give. You know, don't, don't escalate and don't fight fire with fire. 
like like Paul even said in Romans chapter 12 and some of these things, we don't take revenge. Vengeance isn't ours. So the idea here in this passage would be, you know, if they smite you on one cheek, you're, you're in revenge, you want to s- s- hit them back. Mm-hmm. So we don't take vengeance. Revenge is not ours. Vengeance is God is God's. So that's why Paul says, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So that's how we fight evil. We don't fight evil with evil, which is really what I, I believe that's the principle of what mm-hmm. the Lord is talking mm-hmm. about here. Yeah. I, I would just say, you but know, if he talks well, hold, hold up. Let Mike, uh, let, only let, there uh, was he speaking to uh, perhaps uh, people who were, you know, the proud that not necessarily enemies. This is the way I understand. I, I, I mean, the disciples were around, but I thought perhaps others who followed him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't see this to mean enemies. I mean, in reality, I can imagine you wouldn't necessarily loan to your enemies. I understand it means give more and do more than what's expected. But here, this is for this doesn't apply to a fellow believer or it's to enemies. Well, obviously, you know, if you're a boxer and somebody hits you mm-hmm. in the cheek, you're not going to turn your other cheek and let him hit you on the other cheek. I mean, you're yeah. a boxer, right? So there has to be certain times when this is this applies mm-hmm. and certain times when it when it doesn't apply. But I believe the principle really goes up to loving your enemies. Mm-hmm. In other words, not to strike back at them and escalate a particular situation and to live Christ. What would Christ do mm-hmm. if he were in that situation? And what did he do when he was beaten? Yeah. He did not strike back. Mm-hmm. So I think if we were beaten for the cause of the gospel, yeah. we should bear it, mm-hmm. you know? They did. They rejoiced that they could suffer for Jesus' name. But, Betty, we're going to have to let you go because the program is going to be over in just a moment, and we don't control that. But thank you so much for your call tonight. Thanks, Betty. Good to talk to you. God bless you, and uh, keep on serving God. May the Lord bless bless and bring healing to your husband as well. So as we close off tonight, we just have, I I believe, a few minutes, and we kind of hit on this a little bit. But how is this gender dysphoria? the confusion that people are having in their sex by birth, how, when people don't understand who they are as image bearers of God, how is this going to bring tremendous trouble and confusion into our society? Yeah, well, I think even just this week, one of the big stories that dominated the news cycle was this bill down in Florida called HB 1557, which was passed by the state, and then the governor, he signed it into law, and yet people were up in arms. There were corporate statements against it, and it was trending all over social media. And what the bill does is it bans classroom instruction on sexual identity and gender orientation for children aged pre-K to third grade. In other words, teachers aren't supposed to teach, according to this bill, about sex sexuality and transgenderism for ages four, five, six, and seven. And we just see the uproar. So I think this is only the beginning. It's only going to get worse. And that is the problem, that parents can't even control what their children are being taught. Yeah. And you know, violent male criminals have applied to be transferred to women's units in jails. Men are and, and, yeah, taking part women's in, sports in women's sports. Ruined. And young young people are given puberty blockers. This is so, so dangerous. And you even say, Micah, it's a form of child abuse. Yeah. And so, dear friends, 
Trust God. Believe God. Know who you are in Jesus Christ. He loves you. He created you. He did not make a mistake. And so give him praise if he's made you a male. Give him praise that you're a man made in the image of God. If you're a female, give him praise you're a woman made in the image of God. Embrace it. Good night. Thank you for tuning in to the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program. To find out more about Heritage Baptist Church and our service times and locations, visit our website at hbcnyc.org. We stream multiple services online each week, including 11 a.m. Sunday mornings and 7.15 p.m. Wednesday nights. All are welcome, and you can find links to participate in our services on our website, hbcnyc.org. And join us again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for another Heritage of Faith conversation sponsored by Heritage Baptist Church. Until then, rejoice in the Lord.